All right. God bless you guys. You look great today. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Summit Church. If this is your first time checking us out, I hope that you feel um, connected. Uh, I don't want to say welcome because you can feel welcome at a bank branch or at Rayleigh's. Uh, I want you to feel connected uh, to what we are, and that is a simply a community of people who are uh, researching and exploring faith, who have discovered faith but are young in it, people who are uh, fighting for their faith, people who are re-examining their faith, and um, this is a safe place to do all of that. And um, one of the reasons is because we hope that we are getting better at loving God and better at loving people. And I'm going to tell you that that's not an easy thing. It's an easy thing to say. We've romanticized love. We've romanticized love to the degree that we have different versions of it. Like we'll say something like... Um, uh, when you're in a thing and your, your, your marriage feels like it's falling apart and you'll say, I think I'm falling out of love with you, right? As if, as if love is not a, a conscious decision, but rather a thing that you're either in or out of and you have no control over it. Or we'll say, you know, I just want to be clear, I, I love you, I don't love love you, right? Um, can you imagine somebody learning our language for the first time? And we saying, well, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm in love with them. I'm not in love, love with them. And them going, I don't understand what that means. Because we can say we love someone and not be in love with them. We can love pizza and say, well, I, I mean, I don't love pizza like I love you. We've sort of just taken it over and decided that it's a thing and decided that we can negotiate the terms of it and, and we've done practically everything possible to remove the responsibility of what love actually is and it is a commandment because it's so hard, it's so difficult, it's so unpleasant it's such a discipline that you don't fall into it, you don't accidentally get into it, you don't even feel it. What we feel is not love because it doesn't line up with what the Bible tells us love actually is. I'm not saying any of the things you feel are wrong. I think God enables us to feel this deep attraction and this, this romantic desire for other people. And that can lead to making commitments of love to each other. And we talked about it last week and just the different dynamics and relationships that can challenge that. But let's be honest, we have one spouse and then the rest of the world and we're commanded to love everybody. Not just our spouse, not just our kids. So we have to really take ourselves out of the context of those that it's really kind of easier to do that. You're really only obligated to love one or a few people in your home and, and they're either birthed from you or of your genes or you've committed, you've chosen them and they've chosen you and that's really sort of the easiest way to do it. But loving people that don't love you back and loving people that don't even like you and loving people that you might even consider an enemy, that's really hard. 
That's why Jesus himself said that it's really the sum of all the prophets and all the scriptures and all the law. It's everything that he taught. It's everything that matters to God is that we get love right. Everything that you read about in the Bible is about love in one way or the other. Let me read this passage to you from Matthew 5, 43 through 48. It's in your notes. It's going to be on the screens and um, for those Uh, In our online campus, you should be seeing it as well. You have been taught, he's talking about the law, you have been taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, Jesus says, you've been taught the written rule, which is love your neighbor, and the really unwritten accompanying rule that we all understand is you get to hate your enemy, because if I only have to love the people that love me back... But I tell you this, love your enemies. Jesus was again challenging the law. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, you shouldn't even lust after somebody in your heart because that's also adultery. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, you don't get to just love the people who are loving and likable, but you have to love your enemies. Pray for those who torment you and persecute you. In doing so, you become the children of your Father in heaven. He, after all, loves each one of us, good and evil kind and cruel. You notice the good, they're the easy ones to love. The kind are the easy ones to love. But it's the cruel and the evil, the terrible people. He causes the sun to rise and shine on evil and good alike. And he causes the rain to water the fields of the righteous and the fields of the sinner. It's easy to love those who love you. Even a tax collector can love those who love him. And he was using this hyperbolic really hated person in society, and it's easy to greet your friends. It's easier to welcome them. It's easy to do kindness for them. Even outsiders, those who aren't followers of God, do that. But you are called to something higher as a follower of me. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And as I've told you before, perfect doesn't mean without sin, without, uh, I mean, obviously the Father is without sin, but in this context it means be complete and be whole in your love as your Father is whole in His love. Do it as He does it and you'll be complete as He is. I love this passage so much and I hate it so much. Here's why I, uh, I hate it. I hate it because it takes away my ability to score people and to judge people, and to disqualify people, and to measure people. And that's what we love to do. We love to measure people. We love to weigh them against our opinions, our beliefs, our our religion, our gender, our age, our size, our color, our our cultural context, our belief on, on issues. We love to be able to categorize people because then we can decide how much of us they get and what quality of us they get. And this verse, this passage, Jesus' teaching takes all that away from you and I. He says there is literally no one that you're not supposed to be loving, not just loving, loving equally. The very worst of people and the very best of people, the people that are easy to love and the people that are terribly, terribly, terribly difficult to even like, much less love. And I have to tell you, it's not that I believe that God likes everybody because those who are hostile to him and those who are hate him and those who defile his name, I don't think he likes that. 
And he might not even like where they're at, but he does not withhold any love from them because of that. Now, here's why I love it, because it's exhausting weighing you and measuring you and judging you and qualifying for you for my love. It's exhausting measuring the world and and deciding who's worthy of of my kindness and who's worthy of of my mercy and who's worthy of all the things that spring out of love. It's exhausting doing that. So this verse gives me permission to just uh, abolish my rule system and love everybody equally. That's why I love it. I'm not saying it's easy to do it. I'm just saying that God says, here, I'm going to make this so super easy for you. That person gets love. That person gets love. That person gets love. And you don't even have to worry about how much. They get all of it. And they get equal amounts. So I want you to hear this. The person that is against your family gets as much love as your family does. The person that hates God and spews vile words at his name, and questions your faith, and ridicules the things that we hold sacred, those people get as much love as those who you sit in small group with. The people that mock your values, and the people that work against you in, board, in, in school board meetings, and, and, and you see uh, in political office who you think are unraveling the world, those people get All of the same love is the person you love the absolute most in life. Because love, listen, has nothing to do with them and everything to do with you. So they don't have to qualify. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to be anything to get your love. So we're going to go through three things today that help you and I not require people to qualify not require them to be even likable. As a matter of fact, I want you to focus on learning to love people that you don't even like. And I'm going to challenge you with this. You like fewer people than you dislike, meaning you only have a handful of people you actually like in the world, and then you dislike almost everybody else. Or you'd hang out with everybody and you would believe everything everyone else believes. But because of all the things that we do, we discriminate how we love because most of the world does not think like we think, believe like we believe, do what we do, worship like we worship, act like we act. So this is really teaching us how to love the majority of the world. Number one, pull out your notes if you don't want to have them out. I'm going to love people I don't like by first changing the way I think about them. So first thing we have to do is sort of change the way we see the word enemy. So we traditionally see enemy as somebody like we're at war with or an enemy of the nation or somebody that's doing battle with us, somebody that's aggressively attacking us. And that is a definition of enemy, but it's a very narrow and limited definition of enemy. Really, um, it's, it's just one of the many, many, if you look up, you'll actually see that there's a lot of, um, depending on where dictionary.com versus uh, uh, Merriam-Webster, you can go to three or four different ones, and they'll all be a little bit different. there's, There's not consistency with how they define it, because it is like love, one of those words that has a ton of definitions. But here's what I found out. We get it from a French word, which got it from a Latin word, and the Latin word is this, uh, 
Enimicus. That's it, Enimicus, which in in Latin means not, and amicus means friend, and it just simply means not friend. Not your friend. Well, that defines a lot of people in our lives. Most of the world is not our friend. It widens the range, and it helps us identify that this person is not friendly with me because they don't share my cultural views. I can say a word like pronouns and make multiple people feel uncomfortable in the room. Now, if I, on the website, on mysummit.church, if uh, there was, uh, it said, Chris Young, lead pastor, pronouns, he, him, that would literally, brains would explode. People just would completely lose their crap, right? That's from the Bible. First Imaginations 3.11. if I bring up the issue of abortion and um, pro-life versus pro-choice and a woman's right to choose my body, my choice, that would alienate a ton of people in the room. If I began to bring up transgender issues or bring up gay marriage or bring up any of the things that we use in our culture to decide whether somebody is a good person or not, or whether we would ever want to be around them or do anything good for them or hope the best for them. Those are all people that are not our friends because they offend our sense of right and wrong. They're the kind of things we use to disqualify people from getting the best of us. I mean, there are, uh, we just had our, our volunteer appreciation dinner the other night. It was an absolute blast. If you missed it, you really should have come. Um, We had an absolute blast. And um, we got to recognize just how amazing all of our volunteers were, but we highlighted a couple different people because of sort of their outstanding hearts of service. And Uh, Howard and Susie Steele, who have been serving, and Mark and Sharon Beckler, who have been serving here for literally decades, been here since almost the very, very beginning of the church. And we got to highlight them. And so if somebody said, hey, can you help? We're moving someone in the church, and it's so-and-so. That would activate a lot more people because they go, oh, those, I know them. I like them. They are nice to me. I see them every Sunday, and we have an affinity towards them. But if I said, hey, you know that kind of weird person just started coming to the church, and they get into weird conversations with everybody, makes everybody feel uncomfortable, and we've had several complaints about them? Yeah, they're moving this weekend. Can you help? I am busy getting my cat Renewed. I don't think it stuck the first time. And uh, it's a girl, so they said I shouldn't have neutered them, I, right? So I need to go back and have the girl version done. To the... So we do that. Now imagine someone that you really have hostility towards. Here's what Leviticus 19.18 says. So you have to forget about the wrong things people do to you. And I want to pause right there because that you may go, well, nobody's really done anything to me. Everybody who feels an offense feels that it's been done to them. So when somebody wants 
critical race theory taught in your school, you feel like that's an attack on you and your family. Right? And when somebody wants you to address them by their pronouns, you feel like that's a personal affront to you. All the things that you have used to separate you from other people, it says forget about the things that people have done to you and try not to get even. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I want to point out this is from Leviticus. I wouldn't subscribe that we follow Leviticus for our behavior today. It is a really intense, rigid application of law that people love to cherry pick. You know, the Bible says homosexuality is an abomination, should be stoned to death. And two verses above that, before it mentions that, it says that adulterers should be stoned to death. And it says that we shouldn't blend fabrics together. And that men should not cut the curls from their hair. So, you might want to pull away from your, your, your clobber verses that you pull from Leviticus. This is the most rigid application of the law. And even here, God says, you got to stop holding a score against people. you got to stop taking offense at everything. You have to love everybody as your neighbor. And you say, well, I'm not the kind to get, I'm not vengeful. I'm not the time to get even. Even is, getting even is simply this. Wanting a wrong to be made right. Wanting an injustice to be just. That's not, I don't want them to, they can't force that on me. I want, this, I want them to stop doing that. And so we want to silence those kind of, so getting even is about settling the score and you and I love to have a settled score because it makes us feel safer in the world that we live in. But God says to simply stop seeing people according to what they do, wrong or right, because it's not a qualifier for whether we love them or not. It's not a qualifier for whether we generously and confidently give them our love and what comes from love. It means that you have to stop using your opinions, your beliefs, your ideas, your thoughts, your politics, your actions, your way of doing life as the filter for which you see whether somebody is worthy or not. In other words, you don't really get to have enemies anymore. Because if you have to treat everyone like your neighbor, like one who is part of your community, part of your way of thinking, part of your belief system, part of your values, if you have to treat everybody that way, then no one can actually be your enemy because you don't have permission to treat anyone like your enemy. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12. He says, here's a simple rule of thumb. Here's a simple rule of thumb, <laughs> rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, and then take hold of the initiative and do that for them. Add up all of God's law, his prophets, and this is what you get. We've heard it said like this, it's the golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto you. In other words, you don't want to be judged, you don't want to be filtered, you don't want to be disqualified. You want goodness from everybody. You want kindness and respect. You want everything that is the fruit of love given to you. And if you don't, if you don't, I want to challenge you. There's something inherently broken that makes you not want that. Because God has created us to connect us through our love for each other because of our shared love for Him. 
And he says, even if they don't love me and don't love you, you do love me and therefore you have to love them. Number two is this. I'm going to love, uh, I'm going to love people I don't like. This one's shorter. Take a deep breath. By changing the way I treat them. So I'm going to ask you to do something and, and, and don't be rebellious. Some of you just love to be rebellious and not do what you're told to do. Just close your eyes for a second. Nobody's going to punch you in the throat while you're closing your eyes. Well, your spouse might, but I don't have any control over that. Just close your eyes for a second. In your mind, I want you to picture the person who's hurt you the most in life or angered you the most or attacked you or they've lied about you and tried to ruin your reputation or maybe get you fired Maybe it was somebody that tried to interfere in your marriage. Maybe it's a person who broke up your marriage. Maybe it is an ex-spouse or a parent who was manipulative and narcissistic and abusive. I want you to hold on to that image of their face. I know, I know that's uncomfortable. I know what it's triggering. I know what it's stirring in you. But I want you to hold that for a second. And then I want you to go ahead and open your eyes and read this verse with me from Romans. Ask God to bless everyone who mistreats you. He didn't say everyone. He said everyone who mistreats you. Ask him to bless them and not to curse them. I have have prayed curses over people. I said, God, I don't know how to do a curse. I don't know if I'm even allowed to do curses, but I've got, I curse their life. I want everything they touch to fail. I want everything they, because that's what I believed in my sense of justice they deserved. And I was certain God agreed with me or else I wouldn't have brought it to him in prayer. So I was like, Lord, I'm just giving you permission to go ahead and curse them like I know you want to curse them, Lord. <laughs> Ruin them because they, they've touched God's anointed. They stepped up against me, Lord. And you know that ain't right, Jesus. Do your thing to them, Lord. Ask him to bless them and not to curse them. When others, and other translation, this is referring to them, not just when other people. When these people are happy, you should be happy with them. And when they're sad and broken, be sad and be friendly with everyone. Don't be proud and feel that you know more than others. All the issues that you are so passionate about, it's because you believe you have the right perspective on it. And whether you do or don't, that's not even the point. It's that you and I fill ourselves with a pride that makes us feel morally, intellectually, emotionally superior to other people. And you can never treat someone well when you feel superior to them. Make friends with ordinary people. Don't mistreat someone who's mistreated you, but try to earn the respect of others and do your best to live with everyone. Dear friends, don't try to get even. Let God take revenge. In the scriptures, the Lord says, I'm the one to take revenge and pay them back. And the scriptures also say, if your enemies are hungry, give them something to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. This will be, listen, this will be the same as piling burning coals on their heads. Don't let evil defeat you, 
but you defeat evil with good. You know what God's plan for revenge is? Be really, really cool to them. Be loving, be generous, be nice, do tons of really awesome stuff for them. Honor them, respect them, try to get their respect, try to do great things for them. See a need, know a need in their life, be close enough to them you can identify a need and then pile on blessings on top of that. His logic of revenge is just reverse revenge. Instead of doing evil and saying evil and trying, and I, I'm going to tell you guys, I had someone that, uh, I don't even know how many years back it's been now, but it was here, and um, it was somebody that went completely sideways, and they maligned my character, and they made accusations about me that were completely untrue and, uh, and false, but it broke me because it was false, but I knew that they were carrying that message out. And they had gotten to people and they had spread that message and they tried to malign me to the board and it was brutal and it was hard. And I want, I thought, Chris, you've got a microphone. You sit on, you have the ability to straighten out the record. You have the ability to let everybody know what a weasel this person is, how terrible that their character, that they're a liar, that they're attacking you. They'll side with you. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was like, it was probably one of the most difficult seasons of ministry ever because I wanted to defend myself. And I just, I couldn't feel released to do it. I wanted to. And I even had other pastors how I was like, this thing, like, it's, it's got me rattled. Like, I don't know what to do. And I had this other pastor go, I've got one reputation and if someone ruins it, I don't get that back. So I do what I can to protect my reputation. I thought, oh, good. I have the moral justification. Like, that's what I needed to hear. And I just felt like God said, and it's hard to hear God when you're in pain, by the way. And I thought God said, I felt God say, um, would you just let me deal with them? And I, I promise it's all going to work out. And within, I, I wish God had sped it up because it took a little longer than I was actually hoping it would. And I had to wait. And there were messes I had to clean up. There were people who bought into it. And that was brutal. But God showed me something. He revealed the character of the people who bought into it that they listened to rumors and lies and never paid me the respect or dignity to sit down with me and go, I heard something terrible about you and I, I, hate, I hate that I heard this. I, I, I want to bring it to you because I don't, I don't want to believe this, but I need to hear you. Instead, they just carried the message out. And I, I had messes to clean up and I, I, I wanted it to be resolved and and then I watched as this person who made this, these, told these lies and made these accusations, their life became completely unraveled. Their family fell completely apart. And I really thought I was going to feel good about that. I thought, I'm seeing them get what they deserve.
but instead I felt heartbroken. I felt terrible that they were so broken and hurting that the way they made themselves feel better was to make other people broken and hurt. And that the price of their unhealed pain was that their own marriage of decades had fallen apart. Alienation and isolation from friends had moved out of the state. And I thought, what an incredibly high price to pay for the hate they felt for themselves because the Bible tells us we have to love others like we love ourselves. And that person loved me like she loved herself. And that's heartbreaking. Because I was able to move on, but they have to continue in what they feel about themselves. And third and finally is this. I'm going to love the people I don't like by changing what I expect from them. So if there's only one thing that I could say we get most consistently wrong about love, we get a lot wrong about love, but if I had to narrow it down, it's that we believe love is transactional. From the very beginning, we believe that when love is working correctly, it's circular, it's reciprocal. So I love you, you love me, I love you back, you love me. We even teach our children that when they're born, we lavish them with love, we tell them, and then when they begin to talk, we anticipate there's going to be a day when they can formulate a sentence that says, I love you, mommy, and I love you, daddy. And it's the most amazing thing to hear your children say it, but I want you to imagine what it would feel like if you were lavishing love on your kids and they never said it back to you. Not as a toddler, not as a child, not as a teen, not as an adult. That'd be devastating. We would think something is broken because we believe that love to be complete has to be reciprocal. It has to be circular. It's transactional. You get from it and I get from it. Think about marriage. If you stood at the altar and you guys exchanged vows and, and your, 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 your husband says, I love you and I, I, you are the song of my heart and when I hear birds sing, I think of the beauty of your name and I commit myself to loving you and your dreams and they pour themselves out and they swear that they're going to love you until the end of time and people will have to literally peel my dead, shriveled fingers from your face because I will be embracing you and looking into the pools of your eyes and then your wife goes, thank you. And that's it. Nothing in return. Even your most pro-marriage friends and family would go, Psst, before you sign that, the, the marriage, come here real quick. I just want to have a word. I don't think it's legal unless you sign. It's not too late. We can do the reception, keep the gifts, whatever. You've got to run. You've got to get out of this. You haven't even gotten to the honeymoon and the marriage is doomed. Because... We believe that love is transactional and reciprocal. And it isn't. I'm not telling you to marry someone who doesn't love you. What I'm telling you is their love for you has nothing to do with how you love them. And you are 
capable, called, and committed to loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving complete strangers, and loving your enemies without the expectation that anything's coming back to you. Not anything at all. Not even a good feeling for doing what you've done. I want to read this passage to you from Luke 6, 35. And Jesus says this. I'm telling you to love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to people without expecting to get anything back. And that doesn't just mean money, but giving of yourself, your time, your resources, that which you value, that you give it to them. If they never pay it back, there wasn't an expectation to begin with. If you do this, you will have a great reward. You'll be children of the Most High God. Yes, because God is good even to the people who are full of sin and not thankful. Do you see that the measurement is that God loves us all the time? God loved us before we were Christians. Becoming a Christian didn't make him love us anymore. He loved us the exact same before we were. We just now are aware of his love and we live in the sort of the glow of that. And there are, there's favor and blessing and benefit from being in a relationship with him, but his love didn't increase when we became good people. Because that means if, 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 you're, if you're sinning, and you are sinning, by the way, you sin every single day, then God's love for you would have to be measured like a fuel tank where it's low today because you're high on sin and that tank can only hold, it's either holding God's love or it's holding your sin. So the more you sin, the less God loves. That is not even remotely how God's love works. And he says, do to others, love others like I've loved you. Even God loves those who are sinners, who are evil, who do wrong things. And I want you to hear this. It says to do good to them. To good, do it on them, at them. Like, like think of it as, as a, like you're going to drive by and assault them with love. Like a water balloon. You're not expecting reciprocity. You're not wanting reciprocity. You're not wanting anything back in return. You want to give to them. You want to do it to them. The measure of love that we give can never be tied to qualifications or measurements. I think one of the most damaging things we've done in church is used scripture that lists sin as counterweights that we say, yes, grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, but lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, homosexuality, everything that plagues us because we miss the mark. And if you want a really good teaching on grace and, and sin, uh, just find my previous teaching on grace and sin. And um, we can't. We, don't, we are not put in charge of those scales. 
God lays his hand on the side of love and grace and mercy. And no matter what you pile here, it only serves to help you filter out who's deserving of your love and your respect and your kindness and all the things that are a fruit of being loved. And the wonderful thing is, we have people that do this in the church. They'll say, I want to give to a person. I don't want them to know who it came from. Um, I'm, I'm, a terrible, I'm a terrible gift receiver. My love language is gifts. I love giving gifts. I actually love receiving gifts, but I'm terrible because if you give me something that I feel puts you in an advantage, that makes me feel like the scales are off and I now owe you something. It's brokenness in my thinking. I'm not saying I'm proud of that or that's the way it should be. I'm saying that's one of those weird things where I don't want to owe you anything. Really what it means is I can't receive love either without feeling like it's, there's reciprocity. Because somebody's doing that for me out of love. So what I'm rejecting really is, I don't want you to love me more than I love you. I remember a girl in school in seventh grade, her name was Stacy. And man, that girl was in love with me. And it weirded me out because I didn't feel that way towards her. So instead, she was a really sweet girl. She was pretty. I was just like, what is wrong with you? Like, why do you love me this much? Like, I just didn't want anything to do with that. I rejected her because I thought I can't love her back. There's no way I'm going to love her back like she loves me. Right? There's just this weirdness we have. And the weirdness works the other way too, where we give and we give and we give and we give and we go. It happens in marriage most frequently where you think you're the most generous, the most loving, the kindest, the one who's most sensitive to needs. You're the giver, you're the giver, and you get nothing back in return. And that's when people feel like things aren't equal. That's when they feel like you're being cheated of something. That's when you feel like you're not being loved the same way. And that's where we begin to withhold because we go, there's no reward in it at all. I just want you to know it's brutal. I understand, but that is not at all how love works. It's not how love works. Thankfully, because we're called to love each other like God loves us. So thankfully, that's not how love works. Because I want you to imagine how much God's given and how little you've given back. You owe him. He's given everything. And he gives to you constantly in ways you don't even see. And he lavishes you with love and he gets almost nothing in return. Comparatively, nothing in return, but really, literally, almost nothing in return. And yet he doesn't turn off the siphon of his love. He doesn't pull back because of our sin. He doesn't qualify us for it. He doesn't measure us for it. He doesn't judge us for it you bow your heads, close your eyes, and give yourself just a moment to respond to this. If you would just acknowledge that something in you, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you believe about love, you'll just say, I know it's off. I know it's not, it's not what you just talked about today. 
and I need help. Somebody sent me a quote this week from Leo Tolstoy, and I'm paraphrasing, but to love someone dear to you, that's, that's a human love. You can do that. But to love an enemy, that is a divine love. You need God's help to love like God loves. And so this is a transaction between you and God where you call out to him and say, I need to borrow love from you so that I can give that away freely because I don't have that kind of love for enemies, for people who I think are unraveling our society and politicians who I think stand against our nation and for people who are doing things that I think are terrible and for when I cringe when I hear them talk and for people who have hurt me deeply and betrayed me and ruined my reputation and divorced me and cheated on me and all the things that are understandable divisions between us. You just say, I don't have it to give to them. I need divine love to extend to them. If that's you, would you just slip a hand up? Yeah, man. That's it's a lot of us. Christ Jesus, I come to you desperate. I, I, I can't teach this really with a straight face and say that this isn't a, a, a daily challenge for me. This is a message to me, hopefully those who are hearing me preach this to myself also identify with it, but I need your help. I need, I need a divine sensitivity and a divine grace and a divine kindness and a divine sense of forgiveness. I need all the things that pave the road to me being able to do love to people, to, to, to be kind to them, to extend mercy to them, to expect nothing, to not make it reciprocal and transactional. I, it's everything within me that stands against loving people like you command us to love people. So I pray that you help me start in my own home. In moments where I feel insecure, feel like I've given more, I don't withhold. For moments when my kids might do things that I don't agree with, that it doesn't feel that I'm withholding love. That I don't, that I don't choke it back to, to sort of subtly punish them for bad behavior. To the people who bring out the worst in me and and make me want to dislike them. I'm really praying that you would give me this outstanding, just supernatural sensitivity and a grace for them to love them like I'm incapable of doing on my own. And I pray that on behalf of every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.